0: Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter, at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. You can always just drop me an email at the of Earth at gmail.com. So, as always, there was a ton of rugby this weekend, so let's get right to it. So, as always, we start with our current updates, and you know what? It's fun news on the home front this week as baseball season has started. So, don't get me wrong, I couldn't care less about baseball, but going to a game, like for a matinee, oh, yes. Going when it's a gorgeous day and the park is only 12 minutes from your house and you can bring your seven-year-old? Yes, please. That's right. It was my son's second trip to see the Worcester Red Sox. This is a tradition I absolutely love. He He's a big fan of baseball, or at least playing baseball, which starts again this month, by the way, now that I think about it. But uh, the funny thing about Little League is their time for you know coaching and teaching, it's extremely limited, so they tend to just assume... That all the kids understand all the rules, which is definitely not the case. Going to see professionals play helps him understand how it all works. It provides, you know, real life examples of things I've tried to explain, like the infle- infield fly rule or even the concept of force outs. But on top of that, it's it's just a fun, lovely way to spend an afternoon. Every now and then something really spectacular happens. I just I can't wait to go back and take him with me again when it finally gets warm out, if that ever happens. It's stupid! It's stupid! People have to know! Yes, I'd say it is good news this week. So, a player that I'm a big fan of, Lewis Linek, he's back from a long injury and was ready to get suited up for Harlequins this weekend. So, I found a little piece about it on the ever irritating Rugby Pass website. Kind of got me fired up. So, it read, quote, Lewis Leineck is available for Harlequin's selection for the first time since last June after playing his first match in nine months last weekend with London Scottish. The son of the legendary Wallaby, Michael Leineck, made the trip to Caldy last Saturday to prove his fitness in time for this weekend's Heineken Champions Cup tie away to the Stormers. Leineck came up through the guts of 50 minutes in that 1926 championship defeat for Scottish And after returning to London, he jumped on the plane at Heathrow on Sunday night for Harlequins' flight to Cape Town for their round of 16 clash with the URC champions. Not since the final round of the 2021-22 regular season at Exeter last June has the name of Leinach been on a Harlequins team sheet. Amazing. But that could be about to change as head coach Tobi Wilson said the winger is finally available to play 43 weeks after he last wore their shirt. Quote, he is available for selection, unquote, said Matson at a Thursday evening uh, virtually held media briefing from Cape Town. Quote, he played 51 minutes for Scottish on Saturday and hopped on the plane on Sunday. It's great to see him back, and he is available. This time of year, the health of your roster is really important. If you look at the games we have done well in, it is down to availability, not even around selection. It's often the quality of training when you have a roster that is full. It is really important at this time of year that you prepare really well and have as many people available to make selection difficult. It's great he is back, unquote. So as as I was writing this little segment, you know, the official squad announcement hadn't yet come out. But I'm honestly just glad he's back and healthy. He's such a fun player, such an exciting talent. Clearly, Harlequins have been struggling lately. So either way, definitely good news this week. So that brings us, of course, to our thoughts of the week. And my thoughts this week are... I guess a little different than usual. So, this past week I was listening to the Flats and Shanks podcast. Oh, side note, I actually asked those guys if they would come on my show quite a while ago and they agreed pretty quickly, but then they just ghosted me. So, anyway, I guess they're they're kind of big time. So, it is what it is. Anyway, David Flatman was telling a story about sort of being annoyed and how pricey a t-shirt was at I think he said it was a Ralph Lauren shop he said how when he saw the price tag, he kind of gave the person working there a hard time about it. Now, granted he was talking about a plain white t-shirt and he said the price tag was 57 pounds. So yeah, totally agree. Completely ridiculous. But to me, you never give the employees a hard time about something like that. I mean, they don't ask the cashiers what they think the price points should be for their products. You know, like what was she going to do? Wink and say, yeah, yeah, just kidding for you. It's 20 quid or something like that. Like, Anyway, it reminded me of a time way back in high school. So I grew up in kind of a snooty, sort of richy rich town. Despite not being in that class ourselves, my parents were just incredibly lucky to get an amazing deal in a house. And believe me, none of us could afford to move there now. I mean, a doghouse there must cost 750 grand at this stage. But back then, uh, so a good friend of mine, she worked at a, a sort of high end bakery where everything was pretty expensive. Don't get me wrong. It's a top-notch bakery. Every few months, I still go there to this day to get some croissants, but you know, I certainly couldn't make a habit of shopping there. So my friend's working, and a woman comes in to buy a loaf of bread, which was naturally way overpriced. So she asked for the loaf. My friend gave it to her and said, okay, that'll be $7.99 or whatever the price was back then. The woman looked very annoyed and said, $7.99? That's an awful lot to pay for a loaf of bread? And my friend all God's bless her. She didn't argue or make excuses or anything. She simply took a beat, looked at the woman, and said, Yes. I mean, brilliant, right? Like, yes, ma'am, you're absolutely right. That is truly an exorbitant amount to pay. And yet, here you are. I swear, I'll never forget that as long as I live. So good. Okay, that, of course, brings us to our reviews for the week, and we'll again start off with Women's Six Nations. Quick reminder, these first two rounds, we're just looking at the scores. The real stuff will be coming on the rest week when I have a chat with the amazing and talented Rachel Law, so please, definitely be on the lookout for that one. In any event, this weekend was, of course, round two and featured Ireland hosting France, where Ireland continued to struggle in the absence of their seven stars. I guarantee that's something we'll be chatting with Rachel Law about next weekend. So it was another dramatic scoreline, France bringing down the hammer and winning away 3-53. to Ouch. Scotland then hosted Wales at the Goddamn Hills, and the women's team continues to be the best and potentially only good news in Welsh rugby, winning on the road 22-34. to And then finally on Sunday, it was England versus Italy with Red Roses continuing their bulldozing ways, obliterating the Italians by an amazing 68-5 to to put a cap on round two. So hopping over just a little bit to the EPCR, this weekend at long last saw the return of the Champions Cup and the Challenge Cup where we got into the round of 16 where things really started to get interesting. So in the Heineken Cup, our official game of the week was Leinster versus Ulster. And as I mentioned last week, I heard a lot of, you know, watch out, Ulster might get a win here kind of stuff in the lead up. Uh, I was completely unconvinced. This year, Leinster topped the uh, the points scored in the pool stages, scoring one hundred and eighty four points, and also conceded the least in thirty four. They made more passes, seven hundred and ten, carries five hundred and sixty three, beat the most defenders, ninety eight made the most clean breaks, forty three, gained the most meters, nineteen hundred and seventy nine and crossed the game line three hundred and two more time uh, three hundred and two times more than any other team. Oh my gosh. The Leinster machine was back up to its usual tricks, slowly grinding down Ulster in the torrential rains through the first half, though to be fair, Ulster were doing a lot to shoot themselves in the foot as well, just making a a series of silly mistakes, much to the disgust of the comms. Um, Already down by double, the visitors got a yellow card just to make things a little tougher for themselves. This one, it ended up a bit boring in that way that Leinster always are, somehow, but you know, it was a yeoman-like performance as per usual. Ulster never really getting a foothold or looking threatening in any way. By the end, it was a good old double up. The comms falling over themselves to apologize for the lackluster viewing 30-15 to 15 to put Leinster into the quarterfinals. So, Leinster versus Edinburgh had what the comms called, quote, terrific atmosphere, unquote, despite the fact that it was an absolute deluge out. I was actually really excited because friend of the pod and all-around smashing gent, Craig Manson, was there with his son. Checking boxes on the old bucket list must have been incredible. Uh, Also, side note, great, great to see Darcy Graham out there when you could, of course, actually see anything through the biblical downpour he had gone full platinum blonde, which is kind of an ambiguous move when you're always wearing a scrum cap, but what do I know? So as you'd expect, it was tough going for both teams in the first half. The hosts took a 3-0 to lead into the break, but in the second half, it was Jasper Visa breaking Edinburgh's heart, gaining the momentum they needed to put the visitors to bed, 16-6 to six to advance. The disappointing season for Edinburgh continues. Man, oh man. So, Sharks versus Munster. This one got to say, it had me really worried because the replay was just an error message for a full day. But I stuck it out. I, I went back and checked again, and I did find it. A huge relief, as I've been really looking forward to this one. It was indeed a super close one. Sharks, with a three-point lead at the break, when the teams came back out, Eben Etzabeth was looking, I, I guess, even angrier than normal. And he was carrying a huge bag of ice. The comms said, well, looks like he's feeling poorly. I guess we'll have to wait to see where he puts that high comedy. So Snyman, he got his first start in what a decade, I guess. I wondered how many minutes he'd last, but it, to be fair, he looked really good out there. Sharks started to catch fire a bit as the second half wore on. And it was Werner Koch getting his third try in his many appearances in this competition to seemingly bust things open 36 to 14 with 25 minutes left. Com's highlight. Once again, Malpimpy, he looked like he had just scored a spectacular try, but it was called back. And they said, well, that was one of his amazing tries that doesn't actually earn points. But he's had enough in his career. <laughs> so he then almost immediately scored one that did count, just to sort of prove a point. And that was pretty much the nail in the Munster Coffin. 50 to 35 was the stunning total in this one. So Stormers versus Harlequins was obviously another one I was really looking forward to. But sadly, this match got the blow rugby treatment. So rather than this actual match, the replay was... 51 minutes of a Griquas match from the Curry Cup. Whoa, whoa. Actual score of this one, 32-28. to 28. Disappointing. So, La Rochelle versus Gloucester, it, it doesn't get any closer than a 15-all tie at the break. Everything to play for over the final 40. They're in a right all scrap, said the comms, as this one seemed to grow in intensity with every point on the board. Gloucester hanging on by a fingernail, 22-23, entering the final quarter of play. A yellow card the home team soon after had Ronan O'Gara pacing the sidelines like a, a tiger with dingleberries. Quote, what are we seeing here? Unquote, they asked from the booth as Billy 12 Trees extended the lead to four. And, oh my word, my friends, those final few minutes for, for Gloucester were possibly the most incredible defense I've ever seen. It was just completely off the charts. It didn't even make sense how they were able to repel the attackers for so long. I seriously caught myself gasping more than once. However. However, this is La Rochelle we're talking about. They're the defending champs. They have Teddy Toma. He broke out wide and did some fine work of his own to get the try that would be the difference. Your heart had to go out to Gloucester after an effort like that. What a showing. But all for naught, going down 29 to 26 in an all-time thriller. Then Exeter versus Montpellier. Obviously, didn't watch this one. But in this week's edition of Stuff David Doesn't Really Get... Exeter tied it in extra time, getting a draw, but somehow advancing to the next round anyway. The decider, it turns out, was total tries scored. So a 33 all was just enough to get the Chiefs a quarterfinal. If only the decider had been if your fans do racist chants all night, you don't get to advance. Toulouse versus Bulls was another exciting one. Once again, it was played in a massive rainstorm. The visitors couldn't have been happy about it, and the French crowd was rocking. But Uh, To me, at least, there was sort of a a look about the Bulls on this day that that said they were here with a purpose, like they'd lost 11 of their last 15. But somehow I just felt like the pressure was squarely focused on Toulouse. Naturally, the rain, so heavy at that point, impacted every aspect of this game, except, of course, for, yep, you guessed it. And to Max Hare. I mean, we all know he's not actually human, right? So 12 to 6 was, quote, halftime in the pink city, unquote, said the comms, as we hunted for our first tribe, but the second half saw the skies clearing. Would that make uh, be the difference maker? Uh, no. No, the answer was no. Toulouse, only finding more momentum as they got the first try of the day around the 53-minute mark, and they were never, looking back, ultimately smashing their guests 33-9. to What a disappointment for the Bulls, but a well-deserved victory for the home team, and so much for my predictions. (laughs) So, Saracens versus Ospreys. Ospreys actually held a lead for quite some time, but naturally it was these super annoying Saracens getting back within a point after the clock was well past 40 minutes. And in the second half, the home side just pulled away completely, winning yet again 35 to 20. Meanwhile, over in the Milwaukee's Best Light Cup, our official game of the week was Lions versus Rassing. And sadly, The outcome of this one came across my path before i had actually had a chance to watch it so a little tough to watch it with much enthusiasm gotta say so even so lions in this one they were so dominant it just it appeared racing were just completely gobsmacked by the conditions down there um whatever is wrong with racing in general this year i mean it seems terminal i don't even i can't even figure out where to begin with them everything of course was working for the lions it was never really a contest 51 to 28 was your final score in this one. Then Bristol versus Claremont. It was our first action on Friday. Claremont looking to uh, looked to be cruising until Harry Randall snuck one through to make it a four point game. By the way, Jakob Piper's mic wasn't coming through the audio feed at all on Peacock where I was watching it. Did anyone else have that issue? Please let me know. It was weird. You know, From where I'm sitting, it often feels like just random bits and pieces of these broadcasts just somehow just sort of fall off somewhere between Europe and here. I mean, maybe it's the metric conversion. I wonder if that. Anyway, it was Rondrandra. He was scoring next to give the Bears the first lead, but he tweaked his hamstring visibly on the play. Had to leave. Not a good sign. Penno was again scoring tries almost by accident. And as Harry Thacker lost hold of the ball with the clock in the red. That was the end of Bristol's European hopes. Claremont pulling through to the quarterfinals, 27-33 on the road. Wow. So, Scarlets versus Breve was next on my list. It was absolutely pissing down rain for this one. The comms said, well, Scarlets are a team that likes to run with the ball in hand, but tonight might not be the night for that style and yeah, it was like watching toddlers trying to catch an eel. Just a huge mess right from the start, though I admired the Hardy fans who were completely undeterred by this. Our first try didn't come until almost the 50 minute mark and it was Bristol slip and sliding their way to make it 9-7. to The crowd suddenly worried. However, two tries fairly late for the home side would see them through. Scarlet's punching their tickets to a quarterfinal 19-7 to in the end. Nice job by them. So, Toulon versus Cheetahs was next, and as I've said, it's been very cool seeing the Cheetahs back in action again, and despite a deck obviously sort of massively stacked against them, for me, they've acquitted themselves pretty well. It's been really fun. This one was another positive showing. They they really know how to put up some points, even if they're not winning every game. It was down to 36-21 uh, in the final minutes, and the hosts were down a player at that point too as well, but, eh, you know... Toulon, we're here to play. Bastereau was back in the action, getting a punishing tackle to effectively end this one. Toulon headed to the next round, and Cheetahs, I I honestly don't know where they go now. Stade Francais versus Lyon was our next offering, the only all-French contest in the round. It was anyone's game 10-9 at halftime. This one got really exciting. It was 21-16 approaching the final quarter with the Parisians down to 14 players. Suddenly, it was Lyon taking their first lead of the day, Stad, they kicked their way back on top as the rains came belting in. But the visitors weren't done. The lead, seesawing back their way with under four left on the clock in regulation with two bang-bang tries following, though. The comms said, Stade Francais have fallen apart, dropping a huge one at home. An incredible 24-41, to the final scoreline. Holy crap. So, Benetton versus Connacht was next. I was still rooting for Conic in this one, obviously. Um, this one, of course, though, saw the home team in their gorgeous blue and gold kit, resplendent in the spring Italian sunshine. Benetton were up by Russia's fourth album at halftime. Things didn't get any easier for my conduct guys who were doubled up into the final quarter and looking just completely out of answers. A yellow card with less than 10 minutes left didn't help their cause any, and in the end, it was Benetton advancing to the quarterfinals. They are a force at home, 41 to 19 was the final score in Treviso. Well, Glasgow versus the Dragons looked like a good one. And right off the top, they said that Glasgow hadn't lost at home in, quote, well over a year, unquote, which was an amazing stat. Uh, I certainly knew they'd been on a tear, but damn. Anyway, Glasgow, they were off to the races in the first half. I know this one didn't end up getting a vote for Game of the Week, but it still bears mentioning because Johnny Matthews, Ended up with five tries. He basically had squatting rights. Uh, They took him out at the 46-minute mark, by the way. So if you were to extrapolate that out to 80 minutes, he would have nabbed 8.69565 tries, which would have been a really weird record. So by the time Glasgow were in the 60-point margins, uh, I felt like I might have an inkling who was going to win this one. And lo and behold, I was right. Final score, 73-33. to And more on this one later... Finally, it was Cardiff versus Sale. I admit, I expected Sale to just waltz right over this Cardiff side, but boy, was I wrong. Sharks looked good for maybe the first, I don't know, 8 to 10 minutes, but Cardiff, they were on fire. Josh Adams tearing them apart out wide, but it was Cardiff's scrum dominance that really tilted things in their favor. They were so completely on top. It was like Sale just fell apart and forgot what they were even trying to do out there. It was really dramatic, uh, the home team managed to build a 25 to 10 lead at one point. However, there is a reason Sale are where they are in the Premiership table. And when Cardiff's front row got subbed out, their scrum dominance seemed to go off with them. Suddenly, it was 25 to 20 at the start of the final quarter. What an ending we were in for Sale. They retook the lead at 25 to 27, but Cardiff answered with a penalty kick to go back up just one point. They were backed up right to their own try line as Sharks were circling, but a huge, I mean, huge turnover got them the ball back. They would hold on long enough to poke it out right at the death and absolutely thrilling 28 to 27 win in the Welsh capital. I have to say friend of the pod, Dr. Harley worthy took exception to the fact that this wasn't even one of the choices listed for game of the, the game of the week poll and He was right. An absolute thriller and a perfect way to end the round of 16 in Europe. Amazing stuff. Okay, moving on to the Super Rugby Pacific competition. So swinging down to the Southern Hemisphere, it was round six in Super Rugby. Holy cow. (laughs) The injuries in this competition are mounting. I actually saw a graphic showing how many people were out for the five Kiwi sides. Listing what percentage of the overall squad those numbers represented, Highlanders actually topped the list with 40% of their players unavailable, including the likes of Josh Nareki, Freddie Byrne, but Crusaders, they looked worse off to me. Missing players like Will Jordan, Sam Whitelock, Sebu Reese, Ethan Blackadder, among others. Like It was definitely a hospital weekend in Super Rugby. So, our poll-winning official Game of the Week was a tie between Drua and the Rebels and Chiefs versus the Blues. So, I'm going to try to hit them both. So, starting with the Fijian Drua, who were at home, which this week meant they were actually back in sunny Suva to face a rising Rebels side. As always, they seem to have the world's most vociferous fans. And as they scored their second uninsured try just in the first five minutes, you would have thought it was a World Cup final by the din in that stadium. This one got out of hand. Pretty quickly, the Drua scoring five tries just before the half hour mark. I mean, hard to bounce back from that. The noise was at Beatles concert level. 33 to 7 was the lead at the break. And by the way, where can I get one of those Drua umbrellas? They're so cool. Uh, the home team, they cooled off considerably in the second half, figuratively, if not literally. And even the crowd seemed a bit exhausted at that point. By the end, it was a respectable scoreline for a team that had looked completely dominated for the first 30 or 40 minutes, Rebels dropping one on the road to an impressive. Fijian drew aside, side, 38-28, overlooking the emerald shores of Suva. So next was the matchup that I would have guessed was going to run away with their little Twitter poll. The Chiefs, of course, hosting the always-a-bridesmaid Blues. And I kid you not, it took the home team literally 26 seconds to score their first try. Would that prove an omen? So around the quarter hour mark, it was something you basically never, ever see Bowden Barrett making a huge mistake. So coming through for basically a walk in try, he seemed to decide at the last second to get it closer in towards the goalposts. But this opened him up to be tackled, whereupon he simply stepped out the back of the in goal area, just kind of shocking for a two time world player of the year. If the Chiefs went on to win this one by four or less, wow, this would have been big. So, Blues, however, seemed unconcerned. It was only moments later that they got one from Caleb Clark. But, speaking of Bowden Barrett, he shanked his second consecutive kick to miss the extras, and we were tied at 10 after the first quarter. Thanks to a second score by Narawa, the home team dragged their waterlogged selves to the lockers, boasting a 17-10 advantage. Through the third quarter of play, both teams just got a single score, a try for the Chiefs, and a pen for the Blues. The hosts looked dead set on retaining their unbeaten record on the year, knowing this one would be an absolute statement win. As you'd imagine, this one came right down to the wire. The Blues pounding on the door, still down seven, with maybe three and a half on the clock. However, they ended up knocking it on to end the game. As I sat, you know, half off the edge of my very seat, an amazing Gritty win for the streaking Chiefs, 20-13 to at the double whistle. Unbelievable stuff. So Moana Pacifica versus Highlanders was the actual first match of this round. For quite a while, it was frighteningly close, and Moana, they looked intent on getting their first win of the year. However, Highlanders slowly began to pull away. When Fakatava came on, that was the spark that opened the floodgates he said, badly mixing his metaphors. Side note, um, they mentioned ahead of time Josh Dixon's uh, Josh, Josh Dixon's brother Sam is battling with cancer right now, so both uh, Fakataba and Aaron Smith shaved their heads in sort of a, a show of support and solidarity. Of course, you wouldn't have known that with Smith, but Fakataba, what a difference. He almost looked faster out there without the, like, I don't know, 72 pounds of hair flying around. Either way, the final quarter belonged to the visitors, and by the end, it was my Highlanders. Getting their third win in a row, 17 to 45, with Sam Gilbert becoming the competition's leading scorer on this season. Well, you probably know the Reds versus the Crusaders was up next. Another big marquee matchup. The highlights from the comms. <laughs> it was so good. Pretty early on, the comms said, Well, when you look in the crowd, you see a lot of red people here supporting the Crusaders and the Reds. Ha <laughs> ha. Anyway, uh, I still can't get used to seeing Tate McDermott without a mullet, by the way. Like, I I thought that was sacrilege in Australia. I thought the rule was you're either a mullet guy or a non-mullet guy. I didn't think it was kosher to switch allegiances. Very weird. Anyway, he's been playing very well. Uh, But, of course, this was the Crusaders. And while they led only by eight at the break... They looked fairly in control despite all of their missing players, and by the end, it was 12 to 25. A nice win for the Crusaders, though I do feel like the Reds have some serious positive takeaways in this one. Brumbies versus Waratahs was after that, and wow, this one turned into a cracker of a game. I fully expected the Brumbies back at home and with lots of stars back in the mix to make short work of the Taz, especially when the latter racked up two yellows in like five minutes. But, but no. The visitors they held a slight lead at the break, which led to a high scoring second half. They found themselves up 21 to 33 as we approached approach the final quarter. comes highlight again. James Slipper had already gotten himself abrasive tries and was looking for a hat trick, and the com said, Surely not. Surely not. That That's end of days stuff if that man scores three tries in a game. The ending was of course a heartbreaker for someone like me who always wants the underdog to come through and as the comms were exclaiming that the Waratahs had won a penalty the ref's arm went up the other way Brumby's ball booted out full time ouch 40 to 36 was the final score in this one and then Hurricanes versus Western Force that would wrap things up for the round two tries in 6 minutes for the Canes set the tone for a bad day for the team from Perth it was 26 to 7 at halftime at get this Central Energy Trust Arena. (laughs) It it looked like an absolute runaway. However, totally bizarre. Hurricanes just kind of let them claw their way back and claw their way back. Hurricanes, they had a 10-point lead at full time. Like the clock had passed 80. They inexplicably decided to keep playing, which led to the force scoring a try five minutes into the red to make the final score 45-42. to Like, what on earth were they thinking? Oh. Super Rugby. Well, okay. As always, we're going to bring it all the way back to the United States for Major League Rugby. And as always, we're going to start with my team, where we had Utah hosting my beloved Free Jacks. This one was tough to watch. We we played really hard. We had lots of opportunities. But really, it was the final 20 or maybe even just 10 minutes that let us down. Utah just squeaking one out in the closing moments. I don't know. I somehow had a feeling this this one was going to be a stumbling block. Like, Utah is a really weird place to go. It's like Dr. Seuss land, but with Mormons. So in the end, we did succumb to a penalty kick and dropped it by two points, 26 to 24. Ah, that one hurt. Kind of a stinger. Um, but we'll be back at Fort Quincy on Saturday. I will be there. It's going to be the Yacht Rock Festival. I'm super excited. My BFF will be there on hand with me, as will... Broccoli Guy, so positive vibes are guaranteed to abound. Next on my list, Dallas Jackals versus the Toronto Arrows. This one was happening while I was chatting with Phil and Broccoli Guy. And again, please do yourself a favor. Check out the replay of the video or subscribe to the Jackals Rangers show. Give that one a listen. It was unbelievable. What a guy. But the lead headline was obviously Jackals got their first ever win it wasn't easy and in a way it's a doomsday nail for the arrows i mean wither now toronto but when the jackals did it was 14 to 11 when it was over hard fought well deserved for dallas thank you for making my own preseason predictions look a teeny weeny incy little bit less idiotic is incy a word anyway Chicago versus Houston saw the pups drop another home game. The cats, too much for them this time, 21 to 38. Then, for NOLA versus Seattle, New Orleans dropped one of the gold mine by a single point to the surging seawolves, 35 to 36. Then, the New York bereavement counselors took care of whatever their business currently may be, beating Atlanta 31 to 20. And finally, we were back at a snapdragon for San Diego versus DC, which ended the weekend much as we would expect. 48 to 26 beat down in the Sunshine City. I don't think it's called that, but I'm calling it that. Anyway, just more great stuff in the MLR. What a competition. So great. What a weekend. Well, my friends, as you know by that music... It's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Johnny Matthews of the Glasgow Warriors. Mr. Matthews, I don't think I've ever seen a hooker put in a shift like you did this weekend, which included a 30-meter romp where you could have passed for a test-level winger. Your five tries were not just a record at your position, but was a record for any player in the history of Glasgow Warriors. Johnny Matthews. You were at the very heart of your team's record-breaking 11-try performance. Congratulations to you, sir, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award winner. Well done and enjoy. Well, that of course brings us to our updates and previews. Next week is a rest week for Women's Six Nations, but... That means while there's no game action, I will be sitting down with Rachel Law to really go in-depth with this tournament. So very much looking forward to that one. There is, of course, a ton of action elsewhere as we get into the quarterfinals in the former, formerly European Cups. So this weekend, in the Heineken Cup, we start with the battle of the teams that begin with LEI, with Leinster taking on Leicester. That one's on Friday. Then we got two for Saturday. Toulouse at home to face the Sharks of the Celsius variety. Exeter are again at home. Damn it. Anyway, they'll be taking on the Stormers. Go Stormers. Sunday, we'll bring La Rochelle versus Saracens to wrap things up. In the Coors Banquet Cup, we'll have Scarlets at home for Claremont. Toulon hosting Lyon. Benetton versus Cardiff. And finally, Glasgow versus the Lions. Meanwhile... In Super Rugby Pacific, that one that comp rolls on. This round will be starting with Crusaders hosting the struggling Moana Pacifica, followed by Reds taking on the Brumbies on Friday. On Saturday, it's Highlanders versus Hurricanes. And finally, Rebels versus the Blues. Fun fact, rounds 7, 8, and 9 all feature four teams on bye weeks, while in all other rounds, all 12 teams play. Intriguing. I hadn't really noticed that. So, of course... Back here in the States, the MLR keeps rolling on with my Free Jacks back at Fort Quincy, where I will be to see us face the Second City Puppies. On hand, as mentioned, will be the sensational Broccoli Guy, all the way from Seattle. And if you missed it, once again, Phil from the Jacks Rangers show and I had a fantastic chat with the Broccoli Guy himself just this weekend. Uh, Definitely check out that latest episode if you haven't already. Elsewhere, we'll have Toronto back at home for the New York part-time dog walkers, Atlanta versus DC, Houston versus Utah, and then a big time matchup to finish us off Seattle hosting San Diego. A great way to wrap up the weekend. So great. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. I think I need like a week off just to catch up mentally. So next weekend, it's going to be a lot lighter in terms of actual games being played. A little bit of a break for me, but I'm still exhausted even thinking about it. So as always, my friends, thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And of course, be well.